Okay, I'm glad you're here. I'd like to talk about some big ideas right now in terms of what's going on in the world and, um, and the power of the moment. And where uh, all this uh, technology is, is leading us, perhaps. Because I think on some level we're on the, the precipice on a, a, a shift in the paradigm of our consciousness. And I want to um, just share some thoughts with what I think is happening, how I think it's going to happen. Um, some examples going on in the world right now where, where you see it in effect. And then to zero in on the Parsha and show us how the Parsha sort of like lays out a, a blueprint for, for all of these things. Okay? So, so, so the big points that I want to touch on right now um, are basically um, ADD, Attention Deficit Disorder, the Arab Spring, and the coming of the Messiah. All right, if you will. So I'm just going to show you how all these things kind of fit together in my understanding. And, um, and, and let's, take it, let's take it from what's going on just in terms of um, this, this incredible level of distraction that we're all living with right now. Um, it, it's, it's never been like this before. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not uncommon, and I'm sure this is repeated in households all over the world, for me to walk in and see one of my kids watching TV while sitting in front of a laptop while texting and talking on the phone, right? And that, I think, is considered fairly not outrageous at this point. It's completely outrageous. It's completely outrageous that all of that stuff is going on simultaneously. Um, people's attention spans have been shortening markedly for uh, a couple of generations already. And this has all been documented. For instance, just to give you one simple example, it used to be that um, when you watch the TV news that the clips or the amount that they would quote a politician saying would be way longer. Now everyone talks in sound bites. So that's, that, that was documented like a long time ago. But now everyone is living in sound bites. That's the more compelling headline that I'm trying to suggest right now. Now, with that in mind, with that in mind, we've been focusing on all of the, or everyone wants to focus on all of the negatives that comes from something like that. But I'm going to suggest something kind of daring and suggest a possible positive that's, that's going on in terms of all of that. And the, just to review the negatives, which are fairly obvious, but um, just to list them, people seem to not have time to delve deeply into anything. Because if everyone's got such ADD, if everyone's got such uh, a short attention span, then how can you probe into things? How can you even concentrate? It, it, there's a, a breakdown in terms of um, compassion and empathy on an interpersonal level. Because, you know what? You are speaking about your problems a little bit too long for me right now. I can't focus on them. You know, I need to go on to the next thing. So, so there's interpersonal um, uh, breakdowns and implications of people with much shorter attention spans. Um, so all of this is, is true. And then also, how do, you, how do you become great at something? You know, Malcolm Gladwell, um, 
famously uh, in Outliers put out this 10,000 hour rule, um, which is, uh, you know, a very compelling observation that if you look at the great people in, in all the various fields, they've all put in, and I don't know how he came up with this number, but, but he documents it in his book, and it's just, it's just an interesting thought. They've all put 10,000 hours into mastering their craft, and that that's a bit of a threshold, that if you haven't applied that level of um, diligence in terms of trying to exercise mastery, then you're not going to be on a level playing field with, with the great people in that field. But if you have no attention span, how are you going to put 10,000 hours into anything? Are you even going to come close to mastery in any field in order to make significant advancements? Okay? So I'm just trying to list some of the more apparent downsides to a short attention span, to this ADD generation that we're living in. Okay? But now... I want to talk about something that that might be true. I don't know. I don't know. But, but this is something that, that seems to me might be going on. And now I'm talking on a deeper level. Which is that there's a shift going on in terms of consciousness. And the upside, this is a symptom of it. In other words, this is what I'm pointing out right now. Is a, is a symptom of all of this shift in consciousness. But if Hashem is behind this, and Hashem is bringing this about, then there must be an upside to it. So what is the upside to it? What's the positive aspect of it? And that's really the point that I'm, I'm going to focus in right now and try to, try to make. So now, it might sound like I'm changing the subject. I'm, I'm not changing the subject. What I want to discuss right now is the Arab Spring that's going on. Uh, that's sort of like the, the, what people are calling the nickname for all these revolutions in, in these um, military dictatorships that are going on around in the Arab world. And just so we don't bury the point, just so you understand where I'm going right now. You see, people are living more in the moment. And I think that that is, that's the upside of what might be happening in terms of short attention span. In other words, we've listed the negatives, but the positive aspect is everything is about right now. And that can be an extremely redemptive thing. And I want to illustrate my point by talking about these revolutions going on in Syria in Libya, in Egypt, in the various Arab countries. Okay? Now, whether these turn out to be good for Israel, good for America, good for Western world, that's not the point that I'm making right now. And it's not dependent on there being a happy ending, politically speaking, to this. What I'm focusing in on right now is the fact that people have been effectively able to bring down these entrenched military dictatorships. How have they done it? How have they done it? If you think about it, it's impossible to do. Because you've got a completely unarmed, unorganized populace up against an entrenched dictator armed to the teeth with secret police everywhere. That, that's, that, that's an impossible situation. 
You can't win in that situation. You can't. And if you think about it, just logically, you say, well, how can we get that guy out of power? He's been in power for 40 years. How can we do it? We can't do it. And that would be correct. Except it's happening. And how is it happening? And listen to this. The most revolutionary, simple way. Everyone's going like this. They've all got cell phones, and they've got Facebook, and, you know, ways of... Uh, Twitter, ways of communicating with each other, and they all go like this. They say, everyone, right now, go to Tahir Square. And everyone just picks up, walks to Tahir Square, and they don't leave. It's incredible. It's just like, what's going on right now in the moment? Let's just fully harness the power of the moment. It's like, you know what? We can't organize a revolt against these guys. It's impossible. But you know what? What if all of us just stand up right now and walk to a certain place and say, we're not moving? That's what they've done every single time. And every single time it's absolutely worked. You know, and by the way... Now we have it with technology, and we have it with Twitter and everything like that. But if you look at what happened in terms of the collapse of the Soviet Union, they called it, a great phrase, I think, the Velvet Revolution. If you, if you look at those things, country after country just fell because just people stood up, walked to the central square, and refused to leave. And governments that were completely entrenched, totally evil, just like fell down in a matter of days or weeks without a civil war. And it's going on right now. There's a model that's being presented to us, a redemptive model, in terms of what we can do. There's right now. Now, I want to tie this to a, a Gomorrah and, and sort of like say that this is all leading up to an explanation of a Gomorrah. This is my explanation, but... There's a Gomorrah in uh, Sanhedrin that's talking about uh, the coming of Mashiach, the great redemption. And it says that um, a person who predicts the date of the redemption delays the redemption. So which is an interesting, that's an interesting idea. And there's a lot of Torah commentary on that if you want to, if you want to research it. Um... And I'd like to explain it in the following way, that in light of what we've just been discussing, if you say that Mashiach is coming, the redemption is coming on this particular date in the future, well, already you've turned the populace on some level into passive participants. You've, you've, you, you have sort of like, you've kind of neutralized the energy in a way. Because this is something that's going to happen. Now, what's, what's my role in it? I, I'm not sure exactly. You see how what we're talking about in terms of this, these revolutions that are going on, it's the complete opposite. It's not about future thinking. It's not about something that's going... Like, like this linear type of thing. It's this, everything is going on right now. Stand up right now and walk to this place right now. 
It's not targeting a future date, which sort of like cuts your legs off, so to speak. It delays, it delays the redemption. So perhaps that's what the Gomorrah is talking about. That to the extent that we're being taken out of the moment is the extent that we actually delay the redemption. I'll tell you a story that happened to me one time. I was once, uh, I don't know if I was in my car, if I was walking. I think I was in my car and I saw across the street, like, just one of the saddest things I had ever seen. I saw a homeless person lying on the sidewalk, kind of like leaning against a tree and was so completely destitute that they had made a blanket for themselves out of newspapers. And so they were lying under a pile of, not even a pile, just a few sheets of newspaper to protect themselves from the cold. And the person's face, it was just, it was just abject sadness and, and just, it was just, the person was just destitute and weak. And I, I started davening so hard, praying so hard for that person. And I was crying. And I was saying, God, please, please help that person. And then, I, I, and I, I think I even said these words, God, if, if you don't help them, who is going to help them? Because look at their condition right now. And then, all of a sudden, I thought to myself, I can go over there and help that person. So you see, I, I became the answer to that prayer. You see, become the answer to your own prayer. It's not like, understand very carefully what I'm saying. I'm not saying, God's not going to do it, therefore I'll do it. It's a, I'm 100% not saying that. I'm saying that if you so connect yourself to the need of the moment, and then you take action, you actually become the answer to your own prayer. That God actually works through you to create this happening, and it happens. See, this is, a, this is really a messianic consciousness, where change flows into the world, and it's flowing through you, in the moment. This is, this is greatness. This is greatness. Now, now, how does this work? This can work because of a concept that we've discussed, which is that, remember the word breishis. Breishis means famously in the beginning. That's how it's normally translated. It's the first word of the, of the Torah. But the deeper translation that I heard from Reb Shlomo in the name of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the author of the Zohar, is breishis actually means with beginnings. That God created the world out of the fabric of beginnings. That every single moment is a new beginning. And you see, when you're in the moment, then you realize you're not stuck. You see, this is the great, this is the great problem, the great roadblock that we all run up against. We feel as though we're stuck. I can't because I'm stuck. I can't because it was like this a moment ago. Instead of feeling the freedom of the moment and the ability to make a move in the moment. Now, now we just read Parshas Re'eh. And I want to talk about, go a little bit further, a little bit deeper now, into the consciousness 
that all of us on an individual level have to, have to evolve into. And, and we can choose this. You see, Re'eh starts off, it says, See, I am putting before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing that you should hearken unto the mitzvahs of Hashem your God that I command you today. Do, do you hear how everything is in the moment here? See, that's like, that means right now. See. I'm presenting before you today, right, that means right now, a blessing and a curse. So, everyone, Hashem is urging us to be in the moment. Now, now I want to talk about a process, again, because, because in order for us to get to this place of appreciating the moment, and being empowered by the moment, and being empowered by the fact that the world is made out of beginnings, to get unstuck, we have to perceive the world in a particular way. And, you see, we have to become masters of our own consciousness and of our own powers of perception. Instead of being perpetually reactive to the stimuli around us, most of us are just reacting all of the time. You see, you want to lead. You want to lead, you don't want to follow. And especially when it comes to yourself and your own thoughts. You know, one of the things that's very, very special that we do on Rosh Hashanah is we have certain symbolic foods that we eat at the, at the meal uh, on Rosh Hashanah night. If you look in the Art Scroll Sitter, it lists all of the um, symbolic foods and it tells you, it tells you uh, something special to say as you eat each one. And it's, it's really the highlight of the Rosh Hashanah meal to go through all of these things together and everyone can eat them together and say the, the line together and you can discuss it and it's, it makes for a very meaningful um, Seder. One of the things that we do is, it says, you eat um, some food from the, the head, from a fish head. It says, even from a sheep's head, but I'm not sure who does that. But, yeah, and the truth is, it might sound kind of gross, but the, the little bit of meat inside of a fish head is the exact same as the rest of the fish. So it's not, there's no different taste at all or anything like that. And the line that you say is, that, that please God may it be your will that I should be the head and not the tail. Okay? So, what's this idea? This, this prayer that we're saying on Rosh Hashanah, which is when the DNA of the year, of the coming year, is formed, right? For all peoples, by the way. Jews, non-Jews. Rosh Hashanah is when really the decree comes down for everyone for the whole year. So, you know, it's important whether you're Jewish or not to really take full advantage of that day and to give charity and to, and to pray and everything, all the rest, to really do good deeds. Um, but the idea is that the sages are trying to communicate to us the tremendous level of blessing that comes from being a leader and not a follower. And so I'm saying that this is all the more so the case when it comes to your own thoughts. Not to be perpetually reactive, not to be the tail. Okay. So now, how can we do it? Now, what I'd like to suggest to you, and I'm going to show you where we see this in the Parsha, and I'm drawing from the teachings of the Lubavitcher Rebbe when I say the following. But the, the, the main point is that there is a, 
there's a cycle of reinforcement that takes place between seeing and hearing and hearing and seeing, seeing and hearing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain it more fully. But the idea is that whatever you believe becomes reinforced by what you see around you. So then the question is, who decides what you believe? Are you deciding what you believe? Because if you decide what you believe, you will have it both... By the way, this is, this is like inevitable in either case. It's not like, oh, if I choose not to follow this program then this won't happen to me. No, I'm telling you, this is happening to all of us. This is happening to you 100%. The question is whether you want to be in control of the process or not in control of the process. But you're already on the bucking bronco. You know, it's like, like, oh, I know, you know what, I don't like either of these choices. I'm not getting on the bucking bronco. You're not getting off the bucking bronco. <laughs> you're already on it. So, so the question is, are you going to have... This, your, this weird system that you don't necessarily believe constantly and more deeply reinforced in your consciousness? Or are you going to choose and clarify in your own heart and mind a set of beliefs that you actually believe in and have those mutually reinforced? Either way, it's going to be reinforced. Do you follow? Okay, so, let me show you how this works. In last week's Parsha, and again, I'm, I'm drawing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe now. In last week's Parsha, Parsha's Ekev, it starts off, Vahaya Ekev Tishmu'un. And it's translated as, this will be the reward if you will listen. Okay? So, the, in terms of perception, so to speak, it begins with hearing. Now, hearing doesn't just mean what, you, what enters into your ears, okay? Hearing is a synonym for comprehension and belief. Because, you see, hearing, unlike seeing, is a, is a, is a you know, we talk about, I think it's Marshall McLuhan, he was a great uh, media commentator, talks about hot mediums and cold mediums. A hot medium is something that you perceive and you're immediately, like, wrapped up into right away. Television is a hot medium. You know, you see the image and, you know, you're, you're, you're in it. Radio, or just hearing, is a cold medium because you, you have to work harder with it. Do, do you hear the difference? So, when you say, when someone says to someone else, I hear you, what they mean to say is that I understand what you're saying. Hearing, then, is a more critical step, and it goes first. Hearing means to fully understand, to integrate, and to comprehend a point. I'll tell you a halacha, a point in Jewish law. When you say Shema Yisrael, and this is halacha, by the way. It's not just a good thing to do. This is something that we're told in order to, to fulfill the, the, the mitzvah of, of saying Shema properly. You have to say it so that you hear your own words. Isn't that interesting? The sages brought this out, this is thousands of years ago. You have to actually hear yourself saying that God is one. And what does it mean, God is one? That means that God owns the whole world. That means the whole world belongs to God. Okay? Not just that there is a God. It means everything belongs to God. It's all God's. Everything. Even me. 
The ground that I'm standing on. The whole world. It's all God's. That's what Shema means. It's one of the key definitions of it. Okay? But the sages understood that you have to hear your own words. In other words, you have to grasp this concept. This is step one. Understanding there's a God and the whole world belongs to God. That God is good. That God is involved in every aspect of your life. This is step one. And a person has to hear this. A person has to comprehend this and integrate it into their heart, into their, into their world view. Then what happens after Parsha's Ekev? The next Parsha, so that Parsha, last week's Parsha, begins with hearing. This Parsha begins with Re'eh! See! So it comes from hearing to seeing. So what does it mean, see? Because now when you look around, you're going to see evidence of God's oneness, of God's mastery, of God's goodness. You will see what you believe. Have you ever heard someone accuse another person of saying, well, you know, you have very selective listening, right? You're very, you just hear what you want to hear. Or do you hear, have you ever heard this then? It's said all the time, by the way. Oh, you know, you just see what you want to see, right? Well, you know why people say that all the time? Because it's true. Because it's actually going on all the time. Doesn't mean that people are doing this consciously. That's why I'm telling you, if you understand the process, if you understand the, the mechanics of perception, you can take control of the process. So, so once you have a system of beliefs integrated, whatever they are, by the way, you are going to then see that in the world. Okay? Now, this works either for the good or for the bad. If you've got goodness integrated, if you understand that God is running the whole world and that God is good, you are going to see goodness. If you feel as though you've been cheated your whole life and cast aside and everything like that, then what you're going to see is further evidence of you being cheated and you cast aside. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. If you say, oh, you know something, something good just happened to another person. Well, you're going to perceive that in one of two ways. If in your heart you've integrated God's goodness, you're going to say, thank God, something good just happened to another person. God is raining down his blessings. Or if you feel as though you've been cast aside and, you know, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't a God, or maybe God's good, maybe God isn't good, and then something good happens to someone else, you're going to perceive that as, ah, oh, again, someone got my thing. Or someone got an, uh, something, and, but not me, because, you know, God pays no attention to me. You see, it's just, what you believe is what you will see. How you will perceive it. Now listen to the next process, because the point is, is that this is mutually reinforcing. So I told you, last week's Parsha begins with, listen. This begins with, see, but let's go on. See, I present before you today a blessing and a curse. The blessing that you will listen to the commandments. So then it goes back to hearing again. In other words, first you have your set of beliefs. Then you're going to see whatever you believe. And then you're going to hear Meaning to say, once you've seen whatever you believe, you're going to further entrench it into your consciousness. 
So, hearing, seeing, hearing. And that's the cycle. So, if you put it on a solid footing, which is that you're believing and integrating good things, that's the hearing, that's the comprehension, right? Then you're going to see good things, and then you're going to hear good things. Because God, who is good, is blessing my neighbor with this good thing. Ah, God is good. <laughs> and then it further, it further strengthens your powers of perception in this positive cycle. Now, this is really important. This is really, really, really important. And you can't be lazy. Don't, please, please, don't wait around for life to happen. Please. There's so many good things that are happening in everybody's life and in the world. So many good things. And what happens is, is that, you know, I've talked about it before. I'll give you like the the 30-second history of our dysfunctional relationship with God. Okay? Here's how it starts. Starts by saying, God, you know, I'm so turned on. You're so good. I see you made the whole world. God, everything is in your hands. Everything is in your power. God, I have this particular need. And please, God, only you, only you are the source of all blessing. And you can grant me this need. God, you know something? You haven't granted me this need yet. God, I'm still praying for this thing. God, why aren't you giving me this thing? God, you have the power to give me this thing and you're not giving me this thing. God, why do you hate me? All right? Okay, so that is something that everyone... Almost everyone goes through. And what, how did that happen? How did, that, how did I start off in love with God and end up like in loggerheads with God? How did that happen exactly? Because I have narrowed my entire relationship to one point in my life, to one need that I have, right? Or one or two needs, whatever it is, in my life. And, that's, I, and now I perceive my entire relationship to God through the prism of this one thing. Don't do that. Don't do that. person has to be in a state of expanded consciousness and you see all of the things that are happening. And we all have needs and Hashem should bless us that, that all the things that we need that God should give us for the good, fast. Say amen. amen. Okay. So, but, but we should just be aware of that process within us. Now, what I'm saying now, more importantly, is that we can't afford to go through life saying, you know what, I don't know what I believe. Maybe there's a God, maybe there's not a God, maybe He's good, maybe God gave us the Torah, I don't know, it came from somewhere. People seem to really believe it. <laughs> it seems to be pretty holy. Every time I study it, I see something new and good. So, yeah, I guess there's definitely something to it. Who gave it to us? I'm not sure. Don't go through life like that, please. You're wasting your time. Or at least, you know, if you have a question or something like that, at least make a decision. Choose one side. Choose. You know, one of the most dramatic moments in Jewish history, and I, I mean, I don't know that I would have done this, but the one who did do it was Elijah the prophet who announces the coming of the Messiah. So, to say the least, I guess he knew what he was doing, right? So what is Eliyahu, right? Eliyahu, like... The most awesome of the most awesome of the prophets, right? What is what does he say? This was in a generation where the Jewish people were sort of 
mired in idol worship because, you know, we had a horrible king and just, it was decades worth of uprooting Torah in Israel and this is Menashe. It was just terrible stuff. Okay. Ahab, all these guys. So, so he says to the Jewish people, either you're with God or you're with the Baal. Choose. The Baal. That was the name of the, the, the big uh, idol worship thing of the moment at that time. And he said to them, choose. Don't straddle the fence. Pick one or the other. Which is, if you think about it, that's an extraordinarily radical thing to say. He didn't say, obviously he was also coming to show that the Baal is, is a lie and has no power whatsoever. In fact, you want to hear what, 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 it, what it says, what happened. They made a showdown between the Baal and God. And Eliyahu orchestrated this. And they put two altars, right? And they put sacrifices on both altars. And one was an altar with, you know, it's just the altar that was the side of God, of Hashem. The other altar had this big statue in front of it of Baal. Okay? Now, the rabbis teach something really amazing. And they were going to say, and they had all the people, they had throngs, throngs of people. Like probably tens of thousands of people to witness whose sacrifice is going to be accepted. Okay? Now, the Baal people put a guy inside the Baal statue and they had it all jerry-rigged so that he was going to light a match. However they figured it out, he was going to light a match and then that was going to go. And can you imagine the level of desecration of God's name that was going to take place? That before this huge number of people, they were going to watch the Baal's offering be accepted. And God's just sort of sitting there. So what did God do? God sent a scorpion into this, into this statue to sting and kill the guy. So, so that didn't take place. And then a fire comes down from heaven and takes the, the offering of Eliyahu on behalf of the Jewish people. And people fell down on their faces and said, you know, God, only he is God and everything like that. A big moment in Jewish history. But beforehand, or maybe it was after, I'm not sure exactly. Eliyahu says, choose one of the signs. Choose. You have to choose. And all of us have to choose. We have to decide what it is that we believe. And if we have questions, research these questions. Because it's going to influence the way you go through the rest of your life. And why should you just go through life in a reactive state? Now let me show you the reactive model. Okay? Based on this teaching, this is... I I came up with the following, but it's just based on what we just learned. Okay? Look at the cycle of the months. Okay? You have Tammuz and then Av. Tammuz and Av, we know, are these sort of like very dark months in the Jewish calendar. They're sort of the bleakest months in the Jewish calendar. And it's where the quote-unquote three weeks take place, which is this period of national mourning that we go into, leading and culminating up to Tishabab. Bless you. To Tishabab, which of course is when the two holy temples in Jerusalem and all these national tragedies, the Spanish Inquisition, where we're one, all these... Horrible, horrible things have happened to us. 
over, over, over history. Okay? So, listen to this. Each month has a different aspect of our life that needs to be rectified. What is the aspect of Tammuz, which comes first? Okay? What part of our consciousness has to be corrected in Tammuz? Seeing. Then, what part of our consciousness in Av has to be fixed? Hearing. So, do you see how it, it's the opposite cycle? It's the negative cycle, where one sees first and then absorbs what one is seeing. So, let me just explain why that's the negative cycle. You see, if one doesn't endeavor, as we've been saying, if one doesn't endeavor to have a set of beliefs in place first, that's the hearing coming first. If one just sees first, seeing as hot a medium is, is, as compelling as seeing is, seeing is superficial. When you just look, you don't get the full truth. You don't have time to investigate. You just see part of the truth. And a lot of times what we see, if we don't have a belief system in place, what we see is just going to be a reinforcement of our own fear. A very amazing example of this is is a very strange story. It's not a strange story. It's actually, it's an amazing story, but it's kind of strange. When, When the Jewish people were going from Egypt into the land of Israel, they sent scouts in to look at the land, to figure out the best way for the Jewish people to go into the land. These were called the Meraglim, okay, also known as the spies. And when they went in, they were very concerned that they, should be, that they shouldn't be seen. They shouldn't be caught or found out or captured. So, God made a miracle. What was this miracle? What was this blessing? He made sure that the people of the land were constantly busy and distracted. So that, so that they shouldn't be seen. So that the scouts shouldn't be seen. What did he do to make sure that they were constantly busy? He made sure that they were burying their dead all the time. So there were all these funerals going on over this 40-day period. Now, this was done for the salvation and the protection of the princes. They were the princes of the various tribes who had gone in to look at the land. What did the people come back and report to the rest of the Jewish people? That land's a very weird place. There are funerals going on all of the time. I mean, are you sure we want to go into this place that's like a 24-hour-7, you know, funeral parlor? So again, look at the eyes. If you begin with the eyes, and the month where they scouted out the land was Tammuz, was the month of the eyes, Okay? If you just start with what you're seeing and you don't understand that it's coming from a place of protection, a place of love, a place of guidance, then you're just reactive and you'll just look and with your eyes will perceive a superficial truth. And then what happens? Then you integrate it. So first comes seeing in terms of this disastrous cycle. First comes seeing, then comes hearing. You then take this false perception, this superficial understanding of what's going on, and then you deepen it through hearing.
Right? You speak it out. You hear the words. And then that's the negative cycle. So, so all of us have to understand that if we take control of our consciousness, we'll be able to see good things because good things are happening. It doesn't mean that there isn't still sorrow in the world and it doesn't mean that we, we don't still have to help each other and love each other and, and, and all the rest and, and work to bring justice and, and all good things to the world. But the way we're perceiving reality and perceiving God's hand in reality will all of a sudden be a much more positive thing and it will give us a lot of life. We'll be able to choose the blessing and not the curse because we'll see the blessings that are going on all of the time. Now, I want to make one more point in terms of every single moment being a, a new beginning. And this is just something I was just thinking about. If you look at this word re'eh, which is talking about, this is now we're joining the middle of the cycle, right? This is now the seeing after the hearing. Last week is hear, in other words, understand God's goodness and everything like that. Then it says see. Now, Parshas Re'eh, I was just sort of meditating, basically, on this word Re'eh. And Re'eh, see, I was thinking, you know, it begins with the letter Reish. And then it, I sort of like wondered, what other Parshas, what other portions in the Torah begin with this letter Reish? And I looked, and no, no other Parshas begin with the letter Reish. This is the only Parsha in the Torah that begins with the letter Reish. Then I thought to myself, well, wait a second. I wonder what the first Reish in the whole Torah is. And by the way, this methodology is, 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 is seen in the Gomorrah. Because the Gomorrah talks about the letter Tet. And how the letter Tet is a good letter. And it's a sign, if you see, by the way, it says in Gomorrah Bruchas, if you see the letter Tet in a dream, it's a very good sign. And how, does the, how do the sages explain that? Why is that? Because the first time the letter Tet appears in the Torah is with the word Tov, which means good. Okay, so I'm telling you that this methodology of looking at the first time a letter appears in the Torah and connecting it to the meaning of that word is something that the sages integrated or introduced. So I'm going with that methodology here. Okay, this is not just a random association. So where is the first resh in the Torah? Breshis. Right? We're back to breshis again. And what does breshis mean? Be Reishis, with beginnings. God created the world. So the Reish stands for beginnings. And now we're back to Parsha's Re'eh. What are we supposed to see? Re'eh means see. It's the only Reish chapter in the entire Torah. What are we supposed to see? Beginnings. Because if you see beginnings around you, you will be in the moment. You will be empowered. You will be able to be unstuck and you will be able to make the movements that you need in order to transform the world. Shem should bless us that we should have the power to do this.